Release anger and grudges so that we can embrace forgiveness and inclusion. Release pain for past mistakes and embrace a future of discipleship and worship. Release control and manipulation and embrace freedom for family and friends. Today's message from Harvest Church of God entitled, Release Things of the Past. Pastor Jerry Irwin preaches a message about letting go of your past, learn from it, and move forward. Now, Lord, we've come to the time in this service when we open the book of life. and We glean from its pages the wisdom and the instruction and the encouragement and the blessing. And I ask you to touch this unworthy vessel that I would be used by your hand to communicate life and grace and peace to these people today. I ask you of something I am not worthy. I ask for your touch, for except you touch me, I cannot preach. I realize my inadequacy, and I need your touch, and I need your help. But if you will speak to us, God, then we will hear your word. Help us at this time, O Lord, in this service, and may we glean, O Lord, from the word of God, truth, truth that will bring life and blessing to our homes and our families and our community. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. amen. Releasing things that have been past blessings. You know, God blesses all of us with great, great things. Even our preamble to the Constitution says that God hath given to us life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. God wants his people to be fulfilled and blessed, and God wants his people to be prosperous. God wants his people to be in good health and prosper. God wants you to be a real good advertisement for salvation. Amen. What kind of an advertisement would be, be, be to this world if we were all a bunch of vagabonds and poverty-stricken folks? Uh, what representation of God is that? That doesn't mean that God doesn't uh, bless and help people of all statues of life, but God wants you to be in good health, and he wants you to prosper. Amen. In fact, Paul said, my prayer to God is that Israel might be in good health and prosper. God wants you to be blessed, and God has blessed every one of us. Everybody been blessed? Amen. Say amen. God has been blessed, blessing to me. Amen. And God, the Bible said, gives us all things richly to enjoy. But we, like humans, like to hold on to things. And sometimes we even hoard up the blessings of God. Uh, sometimes we just build us a, a house and get buried under past blessings. Whew. You all seen those horror scenes, you know, where they talk about hoarders and people that are buried beneath garbage because they just can't let it go. Can't even throw away garbage. Wow. Do you believe there are such a thing, there is such a thing as a spiritual hoarder? That just keeps hanging on to something that God sent for a season and somehow you just never could turn it loose and just held on to it to the uh, point that you eventually made something spiritual out of it and, and made it something you uh, would even worship. There's a 
picture, I used to preach a sermon called the snake sermon, you know, and I uh, uh, had a little gold brazen serpent, and I'd wrap it around a broomstick, I think, that somebody painted gold for me. And I used to hold that thing up, you know, and preach, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up, that all who believe might have healing and salvation and deliverance. It was a good object lesson. I kept it for a long time. I think it's in a closet somewhere now. Probably need to throw it away. But I might preach that sermon again, so I might better hang on to it. Well, that whole episode is about folks that held on to something God used. For in Numbers chapter 20, the Bible says that God had become so angry with the children of Israel. What was their sin, Don? Backbiting? Saying mean, ugly things about Moses? Saying we should never have let Moses lead us out here to this place? Saying mean things about Aaron and the priesthood and all of that? And the Bible said God became so angry at them for stirring up so much trouble that the Bible said God sent fiery serpents among them. And they bit the people and many of the Israelites died. And they went to Moses and they said, Moses, please go to God for us. In Moses, you find priest and prophet role. Priest is one who goes to God for people. Prophet is one who goes to people for God. So you can't go to people for God until you've been to God about people. So Moses, the Bible said, is the meekest man of the earth. Can you believe that the very person they spoke against was the person they asked, to go to God for them. And when he went to God for them, God said to Moses, said, make thee a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and lift it up out in the midst of the people. And if they look upon it and they believe, they will be healed. And the Bible said, and great was the deliverance, and great was the healing, so that God delivered Israel. Wow. Well, then, that, that snake that Moses made was used by God. And God greatly used that to bring salvation, deliverance, healing. Oh, how blessed that nation was that that serpent came into their lives. But when time came to break camp and move on, somebody said, where's the snake? We've got to take the snake. So the Bible said they went over and got the snake, and carried it with them. And the Bible said it stayed with them for 700 years. 700 years later, when Hezekiah became the king of Israel, after having a wicked father and having a terrible home life, when he became king, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And the Bible said he tore down the groves, destroyed the groves, cut down the Asherah poles. He did all of these great things, tore down the high places. And the Bible said, oh yeah, he broke into pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had lifted in the wilderness. 700 years. If those Israelites were anything like us, I bet they had a, a special person 
that was commissioned to take care of the snake. I imagine they made a beautiful container to hold the snake in. I imagine they, that was so special to them because God used it one time that they wanted to preserve that. And they built probably a beautiful box to house that snake in. I bet they appointed a committee. I bet that committee was called the SOS Committee, Save Our Snake. And every time they broke camp, the committee would have to come and make sure the snake made it back in its special box and put it on the special cart that was to haul it around. And for 700 years, they kept that thing. Can you imagine a little boy walking in with his daddy into the temple, and there was that snake sitting there. And he said, Daddy, what is that snake doing here in the temple? Oh, son, that was the thing God used years ago to deliver us and brought healing. We got to have that. God used that one time. It's got to stay right here. One of the worst messes I ever got in as pastor of this church was I moved a table or let somebody move a table in the foyer of the building that somebody put there in memory of somebody else. I almost got run off over moving that table. It's amazing how we get attached to things, isn't it? It's amazing how we feel like we just can't go on unless we've got that. Because God used it one time, He is forever more obligated to bless again in that same way. Every time we want Him to repeat it, we just bring out the snake. No, I'm not a snake handler. I handle them with a hoe, handle them with a shovel, or a shotgun. But isn't it something that every time that God uses something to be a blessing for us, we turn that into a habitual thing. And the, Bible, the bad part about it, as the Bible said, when Hezekiah tore it up, the Bible said, for unto that time they worshipped it. You mean something can get so attached to us that we worship it? Yes. We can get so entrenched in something, some ritual, some ceremony, some way of doing that we just feel like we have to just make that divine. It's, it's of God, and it ought to, ought to have worship. We ought to revere it, and we ought to really have reverence for it. But just because God uses something one time, that doesn't mean He's forever got to do it that way. Just because God... Jesus spat on the ground and anointed the eyes of a, a blind man and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And the Bible said, and he came seeing. But another man named Bartimaeus just simply said, oh, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible said, and Jesus just simply healed his blinded eyes. Well, why didn't he do it the same way he did it before, Brother Jerry? Because he didn't want to. He did it 
his way. He don't ask my permission. He don't ask my advice about how to do what he does. Somebody said, Brother Jerry, you believe God sent this pandemic? Well, I don't know. Ask him. He didn't ask me. So how should I know? But what I do know is that it didn't slip up on him. What I do know is that he's in charge in spite of what it appears like. That what people may say doesn't really influence whether he is God or not. And it doesn't matter whether he brought it or didn't bring it or whatever. What really matters is that he is Lord of all and that everything belongs to him and that nothing, nothing ever confounds him and nothing ever perplexes him and nothing just occurs to him because he knows the next moment, he knows the next week, he knows the next day, he knows the next month, he knows the next year, he knows the next century, the next millennium because he inhabits eternity and he is in charge of all things and nothing, nothing, nothing ever confounds him. Praise God. So when a season of stress and duress comes, like we're in right now, can you imagine people being as stressed out as they are? And when people get stressed, they do, lack of a better word, crazy things. They, do cra they talk crazy. They act crazy. They drive crazy. Have you thought how everybody's in a hurry right now? Have you ever? I'm going to Birmingham the other day to watch Bentley play baseball, and I'm running down the road, and I was late, and I was running 75 or, or better. And brother, I'd look in the rear view, woo, get poking their horn at me, get out of Well, my God, man, I'm doing 80. Where in the world are you going? Get out of the way! Get out of the way! Well, I'm already breaking the speed limit. What do, you, what do you want me to do? Get out. I hate people to run 80 miles an hour in that left lane. Well, they're 10 miles over the speed limit. What are you wanting them to do? Where is so important and what activity is so important that you're willing to risk life and limb to get there? But when you're stressed and you're under pressure, it seems like sometimes you do irrational things. They tell me there is a, a, a sickness, a mental illness that is with all of this pressure and this stress and they're, they're putting special uh, emphasis on uh, psychosomatic uh, issues and mental issues, emotional issues that's attached to the stressful time that we're living in. People no doubt hunt you up, doctor, find you, give them a prescription because the stress is just too much. Yeah. It's a pressured time. It's a stressful time. But when seasons come in our life, I'll tell you, seasons bring things and seasons take things. Seasons come and seasons go. And seasons with the Lord are like that. Here's the key thing. In every season... Learn the lesson that God wants you to learn for that season. 
What is God trying to tell us right now? What is God, what do you think God would be saying to us that all of this stress and all of this uneasiness and all of this strife and all that's going on, what is God really trying to say to us in this time? That if you trust in systems and you trust in material things, then you're going to be disappointed. If you trust in people, you're going to be disappointed. If you trust in man's strength and man's ingenuity and man's intuition, you're going to be disappointed. For all of this world, the system, all of this world, the Bible said one day it's going to fail. The Bible said that one day the world will pass away with the lust thereof. But, I love it when God butts in. And the world passeth away with the lust thereof. But he that does the will of the Father abideth forever and forever. Maybe God is trying to help us understand that better. To not put our confidence in all of these things that will fail. Do not put our confidence in these things that will fall apart. Now, don't get me wrong. God is good and gives every good thing that comes in our life. God gives doctors like Doc the knowledge, the intelligence to know how to heal and to know how to be a blessing. That's a blessing of God that we've got doctors. But what's more of a blessing is that doctor recognized where his uh, strength comes from and where his mentality comes from, where his intelligence comes from. You see, because every good and perfect gift comes from God. Every person who is blessed to do what they do, that's a gift of God. And we should give God praise and give God glory for that. Well, we've got these children of Israel, and we've got them out of Egypt. Out of Egypt. Moses has been at the burning bush, and God has said to him, I want you to go down and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. He said, now listen, he won't do it. God told, told Moses that he's not going to do that. Because he doesn't have any spiritual foundation to even know who I am or what I can do. And because he doesn't know me, and he doesn't know my power, he's going to have to be forced to let the people go. Because if you just go down there and say, God said, let him go, he won't do that. So it's something that's going to have to be forced. Listen, there are some things that God wants to get to us and God wants to help us with. There are some changes that need to take place that have to be forced. Are you kidding me, Pastor? Yeah. And God loves you so much that he will allow things and seasons to come because you won't learn it any other way. Some things have to be forced in your life to get you to a, a point where you realize and come to the light and the knowledge of the Son of God. For that to happen, there's got, it's got to be a manipulated thing on the part of God. God loves you too much to let you go on on a way that you don't need to travel. God loves you too much to let you wallow in your own mistakes and your own bad decisions. Amen. 
But the hardest thing in this world to realize, that is while you're going through that. It's easy when you get through to look back and say, oh, thank God. But while you're in the midst of that, you don't realize that it's God trying to keep you from marrying that rascal. Well, Brother Jerry, I love him. Well, he beats the heck out of you all the time and locks you out in the cold and won't let you come in the house where it's warm. Beats you up if you spend a penny. Everything's a fuss and a, an argument, and you're telling me. And, and you look back and say, well, you know, as I look back now, God tried his best to help me make that, but I just went on anyway. Hey, I married one one time on Friday night. I promise you, by Sunday afternoon, she is at my door saying, I made a terrible mistake. Buddy, she barely made it 24 hours. 48, and she was ready to say, I wish I hadn't. Come on, somebody. So before that you, you get mad at God for not steering you clear, open up your spiritual ears and take it to the Lord in prayer. Ask God, God, help me. God, my steps here. Lord, don't let me make a misstep lest I dash my foot against a stone. Don't let me fall into a pit of deceit and despair. Don't let me do things and attach myself to things that are going to dishonor you. Help me, God, to make good choices and help me make good decisions. Well, the Bible says that the way of a good man is ordered by the Lord. Hey, we sing it sometimes, order my steps, but you ought to pray it. Lord, order my steps. Help me walk in paths of righteousness. Help me, Lord, make decisions and make choices that will give you glory and give you, give you honor. You see, well, Brother Jerry, I just don't know why things keep happening to me over and over again. Let me tell you why things keep happening to you over and over again. You already know where I'm going, don't you? You keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same result. Stupidity is to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Brother Jerry, I get down to pray, and I don't know, every time I get down to pray, God says this and says that. Duh. Duh. If he keeps on saying it over and over, then that's because you just not be getting it. Why do people keep telling you the same thing? Well, my sister told me that the other day. And I, I tell you what, last time I talked to, to Susan, she told me that too. Duh. 
Well, it must be that God's trying to get you to see something that you refuse to see. When these children of Israel realized that life was about to change, then they said, buddy, it was better. It was better. You see, what they did, they went down to Israel for food. They didn't have any food. But Egypt had food because God sent a Savior. His name was Joseph. He is a type of Jesus in the Old Testament. And that Savior told Egypt, you're on your way to destruction. There's going to be some famine. There's going to be some times. And the Pharaoh said to him, said, well, I'll tell you what you do. He said, you be over this. I'm going to point you over this. And you build barns. And you prepare for those seven years of lean years and famine and put some, something up somewhere where we'll make it through when hard times come. But the real purpose that Joseph was down there in Egypt, now he thought that, buddy, I've had a bad life. My brothers. Now, Joseph had a bad problem. As a teenager, a 17-year-old, he was a daddy's favorite, daddy's boy. And his daddy bought him a coat of many colors. I love it when y'all wear those bright colors. I'll, I'll look at you sometimes and say, you got on Joseph's coat today. And he loved to get around his brothers and say, hey guys, look at this coat that daddy got for just me. I must be his favorite because I don't see any coats on any of you boys. So he must love me more than he loves you. And said, hey, while we're talking about that, let me tell you about a dream I had the other night. I dreamed that I was sitting on a throne and you guys were all on your faces worshiping me. Makes me chuckle, Brother Louie. He's always got this. His funeral is going to be the most hilarious thing you've ever heard because we're going to tell all these on him. He got ready to dismiss one Sunday, and he said, let's all just stand all over this place and sing how great I am. He meant to say how great thou art. Let's just all stand and sing how great I am. Well, that would have been something Joseph would have loved to have heard. And next thing you know, and it shouldn't surprise us. Next thing you know, his brothers were so mad and angry at him that they sought to kill him. But the oldest son, Reuben, had a little bit of sense about him. He said, no, let's don't kill him. And the Bible said about that time, here came a band of Ishmaelites, tradesmen. said, let's just sell him. We can get a little bit for him. We'll take some, so go kill a goat somewhere and take its blood and get that coat of many colors. And there's a sermon right there. Take that coat of many colors and wash it in some goat's blood. And we'll take it back to our daddy and tell our daddy that a wild beast got on Joseph and killed him before we could do anything about it. Look at all the lies and hypocrisy. But hey, Joseph's on his way to Egypt. And they sold him to a, 
a family in Egypt. His name was Potiphar. And Potiphar was probably a good guy, but he had a wife. Well, next thing you know, she's uh, overlooking this handsome young man. And she's so lustful that she takes and puts her arms around him. And the Bible said that he ran out of her arms and refused her flirtatious, salacious attempts. Well, the next thing, when the husband Potiphar come home, the wife told Potiphar, said, that servant you got in our house tried to molest me. You got to watch the devil. He is a terrible two-timing liar. Don't let him talk you into anything. Next thing you know, he's got you in a trap. And here goes Joseph to jail. It's a season. It's a prison season. 17 years he stayed in there. Yeah, right. 17 years preparing him for the day God's going to use him. Preparing him for the day that he's going to be God's Savior, God's instrument of salvation for his people. You know about the cook and the butler, and they had dreams, and, and Joseph is a discerner of dreams. Hey, sometimes God's people are just dreamers, aren't they? And in the dream, one of them dreamed about, well, you know the story. He said, well, one of you guys is going to get killed. Cook, you're not going to make it, but butler, you're going to, you're going to get restored. And said, all I ask you is that you remember me. Just remember me. So the king had a fitful night of sleep. Buddy, he couldn't sleep. He saw sick cows and well cows. He saw lean and he saw fat. He saw the difference in cattle and saw crops. And buddy, he couldn't figure it out to save his life. All of his astrologers and all of his soothsayers, they couldn't figure it out. And the butler said, I remember. I remember that when I was in prison, I had a dream. And there was a man named Joseph came and told me what my dream was and told me I was going to be restored. And I remember my fault this day. I've not remembered him. Brother, the king said, well, get him up here. And next thing you know, Joseph is telling the king what that dream you had means is there's going to be seven lean years uh, coming, but there's going to be seven good years, and during the seven good years, you better lay up in store for the seven lean years. And the Pharaoh put him in charge of all of that. Boy, I think I called that sermon years ago from the pit to the pinnacle. Brother, he became the guy in charge. But what God was doing in that whole episode was God was providing for his people, his covenant people, because here came jo Joseph's brothers down and his dream came true. But they didn't recognize Joseph because he's not that brash kid, 17 years old, telling everybody how great he is. Now he's calm and he's confident and he's assured, and he's sitting on a throne. 
And you know that story. You've read, read it since you were a child, how that God used Joseph, but he had to go through all those seasons, all those seasons of being put in the pit by his brothers, being sold into slavery, by going through what he lied on and, and, uh, by, by Potiphar's wife. All of that, every bit of that were seasons that came into his life that was to prepare him to be used of God. Is it possible that God is using this whole pandemic, social upheaval to prepare us and condition us for something that He wants to do through us? Maybe we're not conditioned right now to be what He wants us to be. Maybe we're not conditioned right now to go and, and be what God... Oh, hallelujah. You see, when the devil fights his fiercest... When the devil fights with all of his might, then it's because the purpose within you is great. Is great. I think for God's church, there is greatness. I think for God's church, there's preparedness. I think for God's church, there's going to come a time when we come through, if the Lord can get us through this situation intact with our confidence in God, with our faith in God, with our trust in God. I believe there's going to be a usefulness that God is going to do for us. But I believe we're in a season, and I think that season is more about not appreciating the things that God has given to us, and now we're shut up and shut out and shut down, and God is trying to help us to see how precious those things that he has given to us are. And if God can restore our thanks, thankfulness and our gratefulness for his blessings and can worship him because of who he is and can worship him because of what he does and what he gives and what he instills in our life, what He brings into our life. You see, that release has got to take place. And pandemic is a good time to start turning loose of some things. Pandemic and shut-in is a good time to get somewhere with God and spend some time with Him alone so that He can purge out some things that have found their way into our heart that we need to release. We need to release the doubt and the worry so that we can embrace faith. We need to release a, a casual indifference to God's Word to embrace light, to walk right. We need to rela release impatience to embrace waiting on God. We need to release enmity and malice so that we can embrace love and peace. We need to release fear of failure so that we can embrace trusting God. We need to release expectations of others so that we can embrace charity and peace. Release anger and grudges so that we can embrace forgiveness and inclusion. Release pain for past mistakes and embrace a future of discipleship and worship. Release control and manipulation and embrace freedom for family and friends. Exodus 14 and 5, And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. I like the way the new King James reads. It says like this, When the king of Egypt heard the people had fled, he and his officials 
changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let them go and have lost their services. I wonder if the church today could change the mind of this world. I wonder if the church could act and do and preach and worship and serve in such a way that we would change the minds of the world. I wonder if discipleship and prayer and holiness and righteousness and godliness could be lived out through God's church in such a way that people in high office would say, I've changed my mind about them. Do you believe that holy living can change the minds of unbelievers? Do you believe that righteousness and godliness in the house of God can change the minds of unbelievers? I believe that it can. I believe that it can. I believe that God can do great things that can change the mind of people that heretofore have not known God. You see, it's easy to look back on these situations and see, see that God's hand Psalm 119 and 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Psalm 119 and 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Boy, to look back and see, it was good for me that I had to go through that. It was good for me that I endured that because I had to go through that to learn thy statutes. Had I never gone through that, I wouldn't have known. Wow. You mean there are certain things that you learn during times of stress and difficulty that you won't learn anywhere else. That's true. There are things when you're afflicted that you learn that you'll never learn anywhere else. Psalm 119 and 107, I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according to thy word. In other words, that word quicken means to make alive. What, what he's saying here is, I went through a situation that almost killed me. I went through a situation that I could have just been left for dead. I went through a situation where Everything seemed to just draw all the life out of me. I was just a corpse. But he says, quicken me, O Lord. That means make me alive. Ephesians chapter 2 says, and you hath he quickened. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sin. Thanks be to God that he won't let you continue on in rebellion and disobedience. Thank God that when conviction comes, anybody ever enjoy conviction? No. What is conviction? It's when you feel like a dirty dog. What is conviction? It's when you realize I was wrong. What is conviction? It tells me I should have done differently. What is conviction? It's God's way of saying, turn around. It's God's way of saying, you're going the wrong way. It's God's way of saying, hey, 
hey, if you don't stop, you're headed toward a bridge out situation. Hey, if you don't quit going the way you're going, you're going to go over that guardrail. And if you go over the guardrail, you go off the cliff. Listen to the guardrail. Listen to the convicting power of God. Listen to convicting power of the preached word of God. Because it'll keep you from going over the guardrail. If you hit the guardrail, all you've done is just kind of got bent up a little bit. But if you go over the cliff, brother, you're a goner. Thank God for putting guardrails in our life. And thank God for the convicting power of the Holy Ghost that forms a guardrail to get us back in the middle of the road. Some of you today are still holding on to some things that God used in the past. And you want to hold God to working that way now. God puts things in our life and He takes things out of our lives. And the things He takes out of our lives are just as important as the things He puts in our lives. Are you telling me, Pastor, that God adds and subtracts? Oh, yes, He does. God puts things in, God takes things out. But God also multiplies. And he says, press down, shaken together, running over. Hey, God wants you to be blessed. But he, before he can get you blessed, he's got to get some of that stuff out of you that you're holding on to. God wants you to be free, but as long as you wear chains, you can't be free. God wants you to walk in liberty, but as long as you're Living in a, a cell, you can't be free. God wants you today to make up your mind. That is in the past and I can't relive it. That's done and I can't do it over. That's done and I cannot fix any of it now. All I can do now is say that was then, this is now. A man asked me the other day and then I'll be finished. He said, I haven't seen or talked to my daughter in 16 years. And said, I was a terrible person when I left her and her mama. I treated them so bad. I was so mean to them that they didn't want anything to do with me and they didn't want to ever see me again. And he said, I started praying after I come to church and got right with God and changed my life and I thought I would like to talk to my daughter again but God would have to arrange it because I they wouldn't ever even listen to me and said and out of the blue God brings things into your life God takes things out of your life out of the blue he said should have said from God a phone call came one day from her and she said, I want to see you. I want to talk to you. And he called me and he said, what should I say? I said, here's what you say. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see you tell her, 
You've got every right to hate that person that I used to be. You've got every right to not want to see or talk to the person that I once was. I totally understand. But what I want you to understand is this, that I'm not the person I used to be. Since that time, I've come to know Jesus. I met Jesus, and Jesus took all of my sin away. Jesus washed me. Jesus wrapped his arms around me. Jesus loved me. Jesus made me a new creature. Jesus made me a home in heaven. Jesus gave me a life to live. And Calvary has made a difference in me. I want to tell you, he whom the Son sets free, that person is free indeed. He's standing here this morning saying, why don't you give that to me? Why don't you give that to me? That grudge, that anger, that hatred, that malice, that strife, that innuendo, all of that stuff you've got welled up inside you. Why don't you give that to me? Pastor, what would he do with it? He would cast it as far as the east is from the west. He would cast it in the sea of forgetfulness so that he could not even remember it himself. Wait a minute, Pastor. Did you say there's some things God can't do? One thing is God can't fail. One thing is God can't lie. And one thing is God says, I cannot remember the sins that I have forgiven. In fact, he said, I will cast them behind me and I will remember their sin no more. No more. Somebody say no more. No more. Somebody watching... Say no more, no more, no more. So those people that get down and say, God, you remember how I used to be? And God says, no, I don't know that. Oh, God, don't you know what a drunk I was? No, I don't know about that. Lord, don't you know what a terrible husband I was? God said, no, I don't remember that. Oh, don't you remember how I lied and cheated? God said, no, I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Praise God. For you to walk out of here free, you got to take it to the Lord and leave it there. I said, take it to the Lord and leave it there. Stand with me, please. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you'll trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. 
If you'll trust and never doubt, He will surely bring you out. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. I want to challenge you this morning to leave it right here. You can walk out that door with peace in your heart, peace in your mind. You can walk out that door confident and assured that everything, everything is under the blood of Jesus and you're as delivered and justified. Just leave it here. Just leave it here. Let God, I said let go and let God. Let go and let God. Can you say that? Let go and let God. I one time decided I was going to get this old body of mine in shape. So I went to a gym and got a trainer and all this good stuff. He is going to make me a perfect physical specimen. Put me on my back. Had me start pushing up this barbell. He said, let's see how many of them you can do. I finally got Randy where I couldn't push it up anymore. And he said, okay, that's enough for today. Next day I went back and I started pushing on that barbell and I, one more. One more time, just get it one more time. I said, what are you doing? He said, these muscles and these sinews and these tissues must be pushed to the point of failure before they'll start to grow. I've got to get you to the point that you can't lift one more time before that muscle can start growing and getting bigger and stronger. For some of you, you thought that you were pushed to the limit, but I'm telling you, spiritually, God has to do that with us too. To the point that we empty ourselves of all strength on our own part. That I'm going to have mine own way, Lord. I am the potter, you are the clay. I'll mold you and make you after my will. While you are waiting, yielded and still. Pastor, you got that whole song backwards. Duh. I did that on purpose so you would know what I'm saying. When you finally learn that I can do all things not by my strength, not by my smarts, not by my ingenuity or my endurance, but I can do it through Christ who strengthens me, who strengthens me. Is there anybody here today that can say, Christ strengthens me? I can do because Christ strengthens me. I've decided that I can't do it myself but I can do it because Christ strengthens me. Glory to God.
Now you're ready to fight it. Come on, devil. Give it your best shot. I'm ready for you. Pastor told me that I'm a winner. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm a winner, not a loser. I'm a victor, not a victim. My God is an all-powerful God. His promises are yea and amen. I'm a child of God. I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm full of the Holy Ghost that never leaves me, never forsakes me. He's my comforter. He stands by my side and goes with me everywhere I go. There's no task the Lord assigns me to do that I can't do because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I am a winner. I'm a winner, not a loser. saint of God I'm a child of God Earl Hall used to talk about that little old sister that Debbie named her plant after she owned a nursery out there she's Ernest Quinley's mother-in-law what's her name brother Ford he said I don't know you asking me Debbie could tell us what her name is she come down that street at Spring Hill right in front of the church of God there and she'd come by Earl Hall's house. And Earl and Pauline would be in the bed sleeping on Sunday morning. And she'd come knocking on that door. Knock, 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 knock. Earl would get out and go to the car. What do you want? Said, I want you to go to church with me and these three girls right here. I am not going to church with you. Don't knock on my door anymore. I'm not going. Next Sunday morning when she got to Earl Hall's house, She'd knock on that door. He'd come say, what do you want now? I told you don't come back. I came by to tell you you need to go to church with me and these girls. And one Sunday, Amy, he said, oh, woman, I'm going to go with you to church today so I can sleep Sundays from now on. But said, I'm going to go with you so you'll quit knocking on my door. She said, that's all I need you to go is just once. Earl Hall got Pauline and them boys and Gina, that girl, got out and went down there to Spring Hill Church of God. And something got a hold of me, praise God. Yes, something got a hold of me. Brother, when the Holy Spirit got a hold of Earl Hall, he stepped out in that aisle. Susan, he walked down that aisle, knelt in that altar and shed those tears of repentance. And God saved him, sanctified him, and filled him with the Holy Ghost, called him to preach the gospel. So all because some little woman kept knocking on the door. Hey, you may get tired of telling that daughter every time you see her, honey, you need to get right with God. Hey, you may get tired of putting your arm around that son saying, son, you need to get yourself in church and get right with God. But you keep on doing it because one of these days when you do it, the Holy Ghost is going to open up something. The Holy Ghost is going to come through a door. The God's going to touch somebody and somebody going to get saved. But it'll happen because you just won't quit knocking. You just won't quit preaching. You just won't quit telling somebody that Jesus is what you need. church learn the lesson you want us to learn God help us to embrace the new things the things you've taught us and the things you want to reveal to us 
Help us to embrace those things, God, and walk in the power and the strength of your word. I ask you that this church would go out these doors this morning greater than they were when they came in with a greater awareness of your presence and your power, with a greater dependence upon the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I pray that this church, O oh Lord, would realize miracles, would realize healings, would realize salvations, would realize answers to prayer. In Jesus' name, let the church be the church. Let the church in this world, O oh Lord, preach and worship and live in a way that will change the minds of the world. Bless as we depart from your house in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And everybody said amen. amen. Everybody said amen. amen. Everybody said amen. Yeah. God bless you and God go with you.